Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The mission had taken us to an abandoned, top-secret American military base in Gaza. Reports of dead soldiers had sparked our deployment. My SEAL team and I were tasked with a recon mission to uncover the truth behind these unsettling occurrences. As we approached the base, a chilling unease settled in our chests, and the sense of desolation was palpable. The base appeared deserted at first glance, the eerie silence a stark contrast to the once-bustling hub of military activity. We moved cautiously, our senses heightened and our weapons at the ready. But it wasn't long before we realized that the base was not as lifeless as we had believed. While searching through the dimly lit corridors and derelict buildings, we came face to face with a nightmare. i never forget the moment we first encountered them. A large, dark figure loomed ahead, walking upright, its form a grotesque aberration. It stood 
only about ten feet away from us, swathed in shadow. This creature was unlike anything we had ever encountered, with no visible neck, a nose that pointed upward, and a total absence of discernible eyes. Before we could react, the creatures lunged at us with a ferocity that sent shivers down our spines. Their attacks were relentless, and in the ensuing battle we lost two of our team members. We fought back with all our might, our weapons blazing. The creatures, although horrifying and grotesque, were not invincible. We managed to kill the majority of them, and the rest retreated into the nearby wilderness, their eerie cries echoing in the distance. As the dust settled and the adrenaline began to wane, we regrouped, devastated by the loss of our comrades. With heavy hearts, we searched the base further and discovered the bodies of the missing soldiers. We collected their dog tags, a somber reminder of the fallen. On our return to the extraction point, we couldn't help but discuss what we had witnessed. We knew that our report would be met with skepticism and incredulity. How could we possibly convey the unearthly horrors we had faced in that forsaken military base? The creatures, unlike anything we had ever encountered in our military careers, defied explanation. As we began to speculate on whether the general would believe our story, I couldn't help but wonder if the dark secret hidden within the base would ever be revealed. The enigmatic, nightmarish creatures we had encountered were a chilling testament to the hidden depths of military operations, and we were left with more questions than answers as we made our way back to safety. On Thursday, May 4, 2023, between 6-7 p.m. in Snellville, Georgia, I was standing outside the police station and saw a shiny brown cigar, shaped object flying vertically northeast. It was moving smoothly and fast. I pulled my phone out and tried to get a video of it, but it was hard to get it and to look back at the sky. It was gone, as far as I know. What I could see was a large bird now flying around in circles. Later that night, around 12 a.m., I was on the phone with a friend, and the network cut off and was out for 30 minutes or so. It came back on, and I was talking to my friend again and made the comment, either a UFO went by or a tower went down. Around 4 a.m., I got the feeling to lay in the bed and passed out immediately. I woke up, but ate. 8.35 a.m. and went to take a shower. I took my shirt off, which I was wearing when I fell asleep, and had two sticky black circles on each side of my chest where my peaks meet my deltoids and collarbones. The shapes were round, three by three inches, and the left one was a little smeared. It was sticky to the touch, but wiped off easily with tissue, almost like it was dry, and then I took a shower. I wanted to keep it, but kept getting this subtle. Subconscious feeling not to, and threw it away. 
Have you heard of anyone having a black residue left on their body? I've had many experiences starting in 1977 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It was kind of creepy seeing the circles, but I was calm about it. I think it was for my own good. They've made it clear they don't like it when I talk too much. What I talk about, but I know the time is there when I should. As a park ranger, you become immune to many weird things. Strange figures in the woods, unnatural looking animals, or even the downright paranormal. After a point, you kind of just live with it. The rule is, if you don't interfere in matters that don't concern you, you'll be safer for the most part. I hope the rule works, because sometimes situations get far too real and scary. They get far, far too real. Granted, not every ranger experiences the paranormal. While most of us lead somewhat adventurous lives, some more than others, there is also a category of rangers who wouldn't consider their job anything but mundane. To this day, I have belonged in the middle of this spectrum. But something happened last week, and while I would have liked to ignore it as I usually do, I don't think I can. My partner, whom we'll call Carlos, had patrol duty for the night. We have both been relocated and recently moved into this cabin somewhere in the corner of the park where several other rangers have stayed in the past. It's a decent little space. Two adjoining rooms and a tiny little bath. Not very spacious, but who am I to demand luxury in the middle of nowhere and at a job like this anyway? Around 7 p.m. we had some tea, read some news, and put on our gear, leaving the cabin. There aren't many other rangers stationed nearby at the moment, so we had a lot of ground to cover. I didn't mind. I liked walking in the dark. Sure, it had been scary for my initial years as a ranger, but over time, I found it to be very peaceful. This is weird. I know, but the peace for me is very real. We walked for an hour straight in silence before finally getting bored and making some small talk. Carlos started by cracking some pathetically lame jokes which somehow transitioned into horror stories. He belonged to an orthodox home and strongly believed in the paranormal. For a guy from New Jersey, he definitely has some good scares up his sleeve. Around what I guess was two or three in the morning, we sat down on a tree that had fallen nearby. I took out some juice I'd brought with me and handed him one. It had felt unnaturally cold for the weather then, and there was actual condensation on the outside. In hindsight, that should have been a major flag. As we drank, Carlos shared more stories. He was telling me about some flying vinegar dipped vampire from the Philippines when I heard a groan. My instinct told me it was an injured creature, but it didn't feel like the groan of an animal. It felt human, like that of an older woman grunting in pain. 
It was very distinct. Carlos and I had jumped up from the log at the same time. He had heard it, too. I nodded at him, and he pointed his flashlight in the direction of the sound. It came again, albeit a little more distant this time. I called out, but there was no response. With my right hand on my firearm and my flashlight in the left, I followed the direction of the voice, calling out repeatedly. The groan came yet again, and we increased our pace. I was in front, while Carlos quickly trailed behind, calling out a series of hellos, and is anybody there, like a broken record. After a minute or so of walking, we discovered the source of the voice. In front of us was a short, pale old woman in a black cape, facing towards us, but looking straight down and mumbling something. She was bald, and her cape was very baggy and tattered. I instantly sensed something unnatural. It creeped the heck out of me. However, in the off chance that this was a human, we were obligated to help her. Carlos approached the woman, asking if she was hurt. When she looked up, her face was wrong. In the dim light, I could see the manifestation of the unnaturalness I'd felt a second ago. Her eyes were pitch black, as if nothing was there, and she looked at Carlos with those alien eyes. Even her skin was dead, looking a dark blue. He froze in his tracks. Her mouth was basically a huge gash in her face that went ear to ear. This lady, or whatever this thing was, put on her hood and shifted her gaze towards me, speaking something telepathically before just vanishing in the middle of nowhere, almost like she disintegrated. I staggered, fell backward, unsure of what to even think. Her movements were even unnatural and inhuman, just like her appearance. I don't know how to describe it, but was this an alien or a demon? I looked over at Carlos, his face whiter than it had ever been. And he knelt down, saying an audible prayer. It was only after a while that I found the strength to get up, my legs still shaking violently, but they still work. It felt extremely cold and empty, but somehow I found the strength and helped Carlos up. We made our way straight back to the cabin, following the markers on the trees. I poured some hot tea while he sat at the table with his head in his hands. Now it was about 5 a.m. God knows how much time we had spent sitting there on the ground, too weak to get up. I tried discussing what we had seen, but he wouldn't respond, so I left it alone. Around 9 a.m. I called my superior, told him what had happened. He told me to get back to the job, asked me if we had been drinking while at work. They weren't much help, so I hung up on him. We had somehow, again, almost broken the rule and interfered. As long as we didn't do it again, we would be safe. The incident was very traumatizing. No sane person would believe me when I say we went back to the forest every night after and still do. The rule is supposed to protect us, and we had faith in it. At least I hope it does. This job has meant everything to me, and I don't have a plan B. 
So I'm hoping that I don't encounter this stuff anymore. I tried to look around and see if there's anything I could use as a reference before posting this, so when you read it, you would understand. It kind of reminded me of the witch I think they call La Lorna, if I'm remembering correctly. But whatever this was, it was either a demon or a supernatural entity. It felt evil. It looked evil. Why it was there, I don't know and I don't care. I just don't want to see it again. My name is Aaron, and I'm a police officer who often works with park rangers to maintain the safety and beauty of our local parks. One summer I was partnered with Carl, a ranger from the Sierra Club, and we were assigned to clear barbed wire at Squaw Meadows, south of Squaw Mountain in Oregon. We camped overnight on July 15th, eager to begin our work the next day. As night fell, the forest around us came alive with the sounds of nocturnal creatures. I'd always been intrigued by the local legends of the Wendigo, a mysterious and fearsome creature said to inhabit these woods. As we sat around the campfire, I decided to try tapping on a piece of wood, hoping to communicate with the elusive creature. To my surprise, I heard a reply. A very loud rap coming from the roaring river valley below our campsite. Carl and I exchanged glances. Our interest peaked. The next day we continued our work, clearing the barbed wire that marred the pristine landscape. A peaceful work was suddenly interrupted by the roar of a herd of motorcycles. The riders sped by at a higher elevation, their engines echoing through the valley. As the noise from the motorcycles faded, a strange sound reached my ears. It was a loud monkey-like whoop that seemed to come from the same direction as the Wendigo's rap the night before. Carl looked at me, his eyes wide with astonishment. Did you hear that? He asked, his voice barely above a whisper. Yeah, I did, I replied, my heart pounding in my chest. It sounded like it came from the valley. We decided to investigate, cautiously making our way down to the roaring river valley. As we ventured deeper into the woods, the whooping sound grew louder, but we could not pinpoint its source. The forest seemed to close in around us as if it were hiding a secret that it did not want to share. Despite our efforts, we never found the source of the strange sound. We continued our work, clearing the barbed wire and ensuring the safety of the park for its visitors. Yet the memory of the Wendigo's reply and the eerie whooping sound stayed with me, a haunting reminder of the mysteries that still lurk in the depths of the forest. Though I may never know for certain whether I truly heard the Wendigo or not, the experience taught me to respect and appreciate the unknown. The wilderness holds secrets that may never be revealed, and I am grateful for the opportunity to experience its mysteries firsthand. My name is Cian Kerr and I've always been drawn to the mysteries of the night. 
On July 12th, I found myself near the Willamette River town of Willamette, Oregon, at midnight. My trusty dog, Max, was with me, and we were exploring an area off the freeway where a sewage stream flowed through the brambles and swamp. The arc street lights cast eerie shadows on the ground as we wandered through the darkness. As we walked along the stream, I suddenly noticed a large white creature moving around. It was about 100, 200 feet away, bobbing up and down in different locations. I couldn't shake the feeling that it was watching me, studying my every move. It seemed to be about seven feet tall, with three-inch-long white dirty hair and a head shaped like a massive dome. My heart pounded in my chest as I realized that this might be the dogman, a creature that had been reported in the area before. There were a lot of nutria living in the area, and I wondered if the dogman was attracted to their presence. Strangely, Max didn't seem concerned about the creature at all. He just sniffed the air, seemingly unbothered by the eerie presence. I decided to cautiously approach the creature, hoping to get a better look and perhaps even capture some evidence of its existence. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As I moved closer, the dogmen continued to bob and weave through the shadows, never staying in one place for long. It seemed almost curious, as if it was trying to get a better look at me without revealing itself completely. I remembered hearing about white werewolf tracks that had been reported upstream on a tributary of the Tualatin River last year. Could this creature be related to those sightings? My curiosity and fascination only grew as I continued to observe the dogmen. Unfortunately, as I tried to get closer, the creature seemed to sense my intentions and suddenly vanished into the darkness. I searched the area for any signs of its presence, hoping to find tracks or some other evidence that would prove what I had seen. But there was nothing. No tracks, no disturbed foliage, nothing. Feeling both exhilarated and disappointed, I returned to Max, who was still sniffing the air, seemingly unfazed by the entire encounter. I couldn't help but wonder why he hadn't reacted more strongly to the dogman's presence. Did he sense something about the creature that I couldn't? That night, I returned home with more questions than answers. My encounter with the dogman near the Willamette River was a strange and unsettling experience. But it only fueled my desire to uncover the truth about the mysterious creatures that lurk in the shadows of our world. A forest ranger. I have been working for several years now, 
and I have seen a lot of strange things during my time on the job. However, nothing could have prepared me for what happened one fateful weekend in October of 1996. It was a chilly Saturday night, and I was patrolling the Mackenzie Pass in Oregon, close to the Pacific Crest Trail. My duties as a park ranger often involved driving through the forest, keeping an eye out for any signs of trouble or wildlife that might need my attention. At around 2 a.m. I was driving and spotlighting, checking the area for any suspicious activity. Suddenly, I saw something move out of the corner of my eye. At first, I thought it might have been a deer or some other large animal, but as it got closer, I realized that it was something else entirely. The creature that ran across the trail was massive, easily eight, nine feet tall, with a silver-gray coat that shimmered in the moonlight. It moved with incredible speed and agility, bounding across the trail in a single leap. I was stunned, frozen in place by the sheer size and power of the creature. For a moment, I couldn't believe what I had just seen. It was like something out of a nightmare, a creature that defied all logic and reason. But as I sat there in shock, I knew that I had to act quickly. I radioed back to headquarters, letting them know what had happened and asking for backup. Within minutes, a team of rangers arrived on the scene, armed with rifles and flashlights. We combed the area, searching for any signs of the creature, but it was nowhere to be found. It was like it had vanished into thin air. Over the next few days, we scoured the area, looking for any evidence that could explain what we had seen. We spoke to local residents and hikers, but no one had seen or heard anything out of the ordinary. Despite the lack of evidence, I knew what I had seen. It was a Bigfoot a legendary creature that had been the subject of countless stories and sightings over the years. I had always been skeptical of such claims, but now I knew that there was more to the world than I had ever imagined. Years have passed since that fateful night, and I have since retired from my duties as a park ranger. But I will never forget the experience I had on the Mackenzie Pass and the Bigfoot that ran across the trail in the dead of night. It was a reminder that there are still mysteries in this world that we have yet to uncover, and that we should always keep an open mind to the unknown. I'd always loved visiting my dad's house in Maryland, especially because of the beautiful country roads and the peacefulness of the area. But on this particular morning, I experienced something that I never thought I would encounter. I had been driving for a while, and as I was coming up a hill, I saw something strange. At first, I thought it was just my imagination, but as I got closer, I could see that it had a face. The figure peeked its head out, and I could see that it was tall, almost seven feet or more, and it seemed to be floating or moving so fast that it looked like it was. Suddenly, the figure darted across the street, and I had to slam on my brakes to avoid hitting it. By the time I had come to a stop, the figure had disappeared. 
I looked around, but there was nothing but trees, and the light was just coming up, making it hard to see. I decided to turn left and head down the road to see if I could find any trace of the figure, but it was nowhere to be found. I drove as fast as I could, but there was nothing to be seen. It was as if the figure had vanished into thin air. I was in shock, but I wasn't scared. I knew the road was surrounded by woods, and if the figure had been moving as fast as it appeared to be, I should have been able to see it flying through the trees, but there was nothing. It was as if the figure had never existed. I immediately called the park ranger, who was responsible for the area. He was a friendly man, and he listened patiently as I explained what had happened. To my surprise, he didn't seem shocked or surprised by my story. Instead, he told me that he had heard similar stories from other people in the area. He explained that the woods were home to many creatures, and some of them were unknown to us. He advised me to be cautious while driving in the area, especially during the early hours of the morning when the creatures were most active. I thanked him for his advice. As I hung up, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. What had I seen that morning? Was it really just a creature from the woods, or was it something else entirely? I may never know the answer to that question, but one thing is for sure. I will always be more careful when driving on those country roads, especially during the early hours of the morning. I am a highly reputable source. I am a licensed English teacher currently working at a large public high school in Oregon. I am educated, am of sound mind, and am not wasting my efforts here on a hoax of any sort. Finally, my most accurate narrative memory of my sighting. I was alone in a two-bedroom residence located approximately one-fourth mile north of U.S. Highway 199 on a gradual wooded slope. On this three-acre property, there are two horse pastures, one below the house and one above the house. Both pastures are surrounded by active hot wire fences and contain two horses which may move freely between both lower and upper pastures. I was completing a research paper for a college class at the kitchen table. I had on light on and my friend's dog, a small brown healer, was on a 35 feet wire tether tied to the porch outside the small house. I was completely engrossed in schoolwork when I heard the dog outside begin to go ballistic. I was quite alarmed by this, so I immediately tuned in to the animal's actions. I will never forget what I heard. All the dogs and horses from the other residences, which were quite far away, over several rises and ridges, were shrieking non-stop. Wanting to be cautious, I went to my gun safe and removed a large caliber pistol and a powerful flashlight and headed towards the front door. I turned off all the lights in the house and I opened the front door, carefully searching with the flashlight and pistol before exiting. 
what I saw unnerved me. The small healer was focused on the lower horse pasture and steadily loosing a quiet growl. The two horses had moved to the upper pasture and were rustling about and neighing very unusually. I squatted down beside the dog, who did not pay me any attention, very unusual, and pointed my flashlight in the direction of his muzzle. What I saw at this time nearly stopped my heart. There was a large figure crouched down on outside the outer hot wire in the tall grass beside a telephone pole. My light was reflected back at me by two small circular markers on pole and further dispersed by the light fog making initial identification very difficult. I immediately thought bear. To my complete shock, the dog suddenly screamed and leapt straight into the air with its hair bristled. Upon landing, it bolted under a pickup truck and whined like a puppy. As this happened, realized that this all occurred in but several seconds, I saw a creature rise up on two legs and begin to move along the hot wire. I rose to a full standing position and aimed my pistol right on it. In my mind, I was thinking bear. No horse, no man, no God, what the F is this thing? I consciously tracked the creature with my pistol sights and flashlight beam. I was a military police officer in the Army for over five years and trained in firearms tactics. It all came back at this moment, let me tell you. For at least two full seconds, in which time I saw this huge thing take off in a full bipedal run, the thud-thud rhythm and distinct movement of two legs' feet are unmistakable. I was more frightened than I can ever remember being. Yeah... I'm a grown man, and I bolted for the house and immediately armed myself with larger weapons and called my friend's father to come from Grant's Pass to search for this thing. Upon his arrival, we drove down to the road outside the hot wire where I estimated the creature to have been. Since the road was gravel, all we found was disturbed grass, as if something large had moved through it. No footprints were located. For the remainder of the night and into the next morning, all the animals in the small community near Wilderville, Oregon, were restless and noisy. The little healer being the worst off for, he did not calm down for a whole day. I've always felt a certain connection to the Amazon rainforest. So when I received the assignment to investigate the strange occurrences in a remote village, I couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement. As a government official, I had dealt with my fair share of unusual cases, but none had ever taken me to the heart of the jungle. Upon my arrival, I could feel the tension hanging in the air. The villagers belonging to a tribe of about 30 people had experienced a horrific attack. Seven of their own had been killed, and many more were wounded. The survivors recounted their harrowing ordeal, describing a large creature that resembled a giant dog standing on its hind legs. They spoke of massive claws, teeth, and fangs that glistened in the moonlight. 
As I listened to their stories, I couldn't shake the feeling that there was something unnatural about this creature. Locals reported that it was taller than a man, at least two meters in height, and possessed terrifying strength and speed. The villagers were understandably terrified to stay alone at night, and many had fled their homes for safety. Determined to get to the bottom of this, I ventured into the rainforest with a small team of locals armed with whatever weapons we could find. We searched for any signs of the creature, but it seemed to have vanished without a trace. The jungle was eerily quiet, and I couldn't help but feel that we were being watched. As night fell, we decided to set up camp and wait for the creature to reveal itself. We huddled around the fire, sharing stories and trying to ease the tension. But deep down, we all knew that we were in great danger. Suddenly, we heard a guttural growl coming from the darkness. It was close. Our hearts raced as we gripped our weapons, eyes scanning the shadows for any sign of the beast. Then it emerged. The creature was even more terrifying than the villagers had described. A massive, black, dog-like being with enormous claws and fangs that glinted in the firelight. It stood on its hind legs, towering over us, and let out a deafening roar. Instinct took over, and we fought for our lives. The creature was fast and powerful, but we managed to land a few blows. Bloodied and beaten, it retreated into the darkness, leaving us shaken but alive. We returned to the village, relieved to have survived the encounter. The government dispatched additional support to protect the villagers, and we shared our findings with the world. My name is Ben, and I'm a member of the local Native American community. I've always had a fascination with the legends and stories of the creatures that roam the forests of our land. So when I heard about Frank's track records, I knew I had to see them for myself. Frank, who is not a Native American, had stumbled upon tracks in two separate locations that he believed belonged to the elusive creature that our people have long known as Sasquatch. He had even managed to cast one of the tracks, which was about 15 inches long and had three toes with apparent webbing between them. As I examined the casts, I couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement and wonder. These tracks could be the key to unlocking the mystery of Sasquatch, a creature that has been a part of our people's folklore for generations. But as I looked closer, I noticed something that gave me pause. The tracks were not quite like any I had seen before. They were certainly large, but the shape and arrangement of the toes seemed different from what I had come to expect from Sasquatch tracks. I couldn't help but wonder if there was something else at play here. I decided to do some investigating of my own reaching out to members of my community who had knowledge of the land and its creatures. Through their help, I was able to track down a local elder who had some insight into the matter. The elder told me that there were stories of a different creature that roamed these lands, 
one that was said to have webbed feet and a tendency to live near bodies of water. He spoke of a creature that was known as the Waterman, a being that our people had long considered to be a powerful and mysterious force of nature. As I listened to the elders' words, I couldn't help but wonder if there was a connection between these tracks and the Waterman. It was possible that Frank had stumbled upon evidence of a creature that was not Sasquatch, but something entirely different. I knew that there was still much work to be done to unravel the mystery of these tracks, but I felt a renewed sense of purpose in my investigation. Whether they belonged to Sasquatch or the Waterman, these tracks represent a chance to learn more about the secrets that lay hidden within the forests of our land. And as a member of the Native American community, it was my duty to uncover those secrets and protect the land and its creatures for future generations. 